Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, you are listening to Intuit from Vulture and New York Magazine. We've got a great, great show for you this week. Later on, a chat with our friends from the podcast Switched on Pop. We're going to talk about the Grammys and why they always seem to give out the biggest awards to the wrong artist. And we'll also go over the greatest Grammy snubs of all time. But first, a game with someone I'm a big, big, big fan of. We have been trying to get him on the show for a while. You know him from his work on Bad Trip and then Get Out and The Carmichael Show and so much more. And now you should know him for his work on the new Peacock show, Poker Face. We are so happy to have you here. Lil Rel Howery, hello and welcome to Into It. <laughs> What's going on? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm so happy to have you here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's exciting to talk to you. So finally. <laughs> so we're going to play a game all about the week of pop culture. But first, I just want you to tell our listeners about this new show you're in. I'm seeing it everywhere. It's quite buzzy, quite entertaining. It's on Peacock. It's called Poker Face. What's the show about? Uh, so it's a murder mystery show. And uh, I guess without trying to tell too much of it, it's, it's just a very old school throwback show. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I took it on when I read the script. And I was like, yo, this reminds me of like all the shows I like watch with my mom, like, in the 80s and the 90s, you know what I mean? It's so throwback. So, Natasha Leon, she is so amazing. Ryan Johnson, as you know, uh, is just the, the mastermind behind this. It's just a really fun show. And it's weird because I, I love the show, right? Because yeah. I did the show. Yeah. <laughs> but I, we only knew our own scripts, you know what I mean, for our episodes. I didn't know oh, any really? of episodes. No. So, oh, really? So, to watch it in order, it's been great. Now, without giving away too much, how much can you share about your character's role in your episode of Poker Face? It involves ownership of a barbecue joint and possibly <laughs> yeah. some crime. How much can you share? Well, you know some. I guess, you kind of, beginning of the episode, you're going to see them a bad guy. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> what's what, what, What's cool about the show is it t- it shows everything happening, and then you watch her piece it together, right? And that's what makes it unique and really fun. And it was just fun playing. You know, I'm mostly the stuff I've been in has been a good guy, right? You know, I've been the really know, good yeah. friend or the hero, all this other stuff. The when hero TSA that, agent in Get Out, which I still love and think about. Right, and so to play a bad guy was really fun. Like to, and not even just a bad guy, like a bad sibling. Remember all those wood-splitting competitions we had? Mm. Could not beat you once. I could not hold a candle to my brother George. And Daddy damn sure made sure I knew that, too. Well, listeners, with that, go watch Poker Face on Peacock. Um, oh, actually, one last question on this before we move on to the game. Natasha Leon's accent, is it always like that, or is she pump it up for the screen? It's so funny, because everybody keeps talking about that. I think it's a mixture, <laughs> I, I think it's a mixture of both, honestly. Okay. 
You know, because okay. she, you know, she does have to, like, if you watch her SNL monologue. Oh, my goodness. Or even yeah. her Deep in award. It. Yeah. A lot of casting directors, it turns out, are looking for a little orphan Annie type who talks like Didi Ramon. <laughs> kind of like, I, it's hard to tell if she's throwing yeah. an accent She is committed to that bit. It's a little bit of both. I like that. It's a little I like bit that. of both. All right. With that, let's get to a game. We play this game every week with our guests, and it's uh, a simple game called Into It or Not Into It. And basically, I share with you three stories from the zeitgeist, from the pop culture, from the week of crazy, zany news. And you just tell me if you're into it or not. And at the end, I will tell you if you won the game based on how much I like or dislike your opinions. Oh, wow. Okay. It's one-sided. It's very (laughs) (laughs) one-sided. As the host of the show. <laughs> but I, I mean, that said, none of this matters. There are no prizes. Uh, there's no cash prize at the end. Uh, you'll always be a winner in my heart, Lorel. So it's fine. <laughs> Let's begin, okay? Here's the first question. Are you into or not into M&M's, the candy, canceling their spokes candies? Because the little animated spokes candies became too much of a political debate. I'm not into it. Tell me why. That's, I think that was kind of overthinking, if I can be honest with you. Like, I, I like wonder what boardroom conversation that was. And, like, did it get heated? Was it fights? So, long story short, last year, M&M's rebranded their spokes candies to make them more inclusive. But then a lot of people got mad. On the left and right, but more on the right. Uh, they said the M&M characters got too woke. And that, like, for instance, the green M&M wasn't sexy enough anymore. It was all the dumbest thing ever. This fake firestorm goes on for a while last year. And then Eminem says, well, we're just going to pull them. It's too controversial. Maya Rudolph is now the spokesperson for M&Ms. And so that was weird enough. But here's a follow-up for you, Lorel. Uh, Are you more or less into this story when you find out that it was all kind of part of a publicity stunt? Apparently now it seems that M&M's is going to bring back the spokes candies in a Super Bowl commercial. You into that? (laughs) Yes, because now I want to see what they're going to do with this. I mean, what else can they do? Like, what else can they do with these damn M&M's? It's like there's nothing left to pull out of them. What do you want to see in the in the rebranded M&Ms of the Super Bowl? I don't know. That's why I love my Super Bowl commercials. And this one's interesting because they've done so much with this. Yeah. It's going to have to go way too far. Whatever they're going to do is going to be one probably one of the most insane commercials we've ever seen during the Super Bowl. I need like zombie M&Ms. <laughs> I need like like they really got to up the ante because honestly, I'm tired of hearing about the M&M's. And I love M&M's. Same. I, I'm tired of messing with my M&M's. That's in my writer. You go to my trailer. <laughs> I have M&M's. In between takes. I'm for real. If I need a little really? pick me up, I need some M&M's. Yep. Last M&M question for you. What kind of M&M spokes candy would Lil Rel Howery be? Describe that character. <laughs> First of all, I'd be the black M&M now. Uh, uh, <laughs> what does the black M&M do? <laughs> like seriously, let's let's continue this bit. Keep going. Keep going. This man, let's make him. Let's make him a brother. The black M&M. He has an and, afro. And he has an up. afro. He got an afro. He got a little. It's, it's, he keep a fist like this the whole time he talks. Right. <laughs> He's taking a knee. 
He's. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I want this to happen. I want this to happen. All right. Next question. Are you into or not into Reggae Jean Page, the really hot Bridgerton guy? Are you into him being named by science the most handsome man ever? That's for real. He was named the most handsome man ever. So. Uh, using what is called the Greek Golden Ratio of Beauty Phi, which measures facial symmetry, London cosmetics surgeon Julian De Silva, using that system, he determined that Paige has one of the most classically attractive faces. He has a score of like facial symmetry and attractiveness of 93.65. The last time they did this study, Chris Hemsworth was the leader. And other stars like Michael B. Jordan and Harry Styles scored very high as well. Hey, Morris Chestnut to make the list. Oh, he should have. Although we don't really talk about Morris anymore these days, do we? Where's he? Even back? still, see, because they don't do something like that. They need to start from like when we first started, like Billy D. Williams, right? Like <laughs> yeah. the guy, like that, right? Not Billy D. Williams. He was really fine. You, yeah. you gotta go. You gotta go back. You know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta go deep. You gotta go deep. You can't well, then start. if we're going really, really, really back, who is the one? Um, who had the salad dressing? Paul Newman? You ever seen young Paul Newman? Uh, that's a good looking man. <laughs> that's a good looking man. But it's, I'm saying, you gotta go You gotta go back. And that's something interesting about going back to then, especially like, I think the 70s is the best way to measure that because that's when everybody was just extra natural. Oh, yeah. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. It's like, uh, it's whatever it is. Oh, yeah. That's how you rate that. That said, uh, final answer for this entire question. Are you into or not into Reggae Jean Page being judged the most attractive celebrity because of facial symmetry? I'm not into it. You're not into it? Okay. No. Last question for you. <laughs> Are you into or not into the Academy investigating the actress Andrea Riseborough over this grassroots campaign she had to score an Oscar nomination. You heard of this, right? Yes. You into that? Ooh, that's a good... I, I am into it. You're into her doing but, it or you're into the Academy investigating it? I'm into I'm into the Academy investigating it. Tell me why. Well, there's a lot of reasons why. Like, well, first of all, I hate that's the only investigation the, the Academy has because I just really feel like even though they keep telling us the members are diverse, I no, don't believe mm, it. No, they ain't. It, 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 can, it can't be. It cannot be. It cannot be when you don't see, like, Viola Davis was, you know, been nominated for an Academy Award before. But this particular character, she played in Woman King. Viola Davis is, is in her 50s. Yeah. So outside of what she did with just the dialect and the acting, mm -hmm. the, physic the physicality, she got ripped like a gladiator. And was doing that stuff. You know, I, it's, just, it's just very unfortunate that you know, we keep, uh, especially, and also being honest, you know, especially as, as black people, like we, we want to be recognized by the Academy so bad because we know what it does for our bad. Totally. You know what I'm saying? Totally. And, but then at the same time, you almost know like, but are we ever going to get that due? Because I believe it should have been three nominees. Tell me, tell me. The young lady that played in, uh, in Till. Oh, she was great. Led, Danielle uh, Deadweiler, I think was her name. Danielle Deadweiler. Yes. And she's amazing. Uh, and we got our Angela Bassett nomination because we knew that's what it should have been, oh, yeah. right? Oh, that's yeah. why 
No, they, they don't even like to nominate Marvel people for anything. Mm-hmm. But they knew they had <laughs> to give it to her because she did the work in that movie. She did the work. She did the work in that. She did She did the work. And then a lot of the co-stars from Woman. Woman King, to me, was one of the best movies they I've They should have gotten the Best Director nomination as well, if we're being honest. For Gina Prince-Blythe. Cinematography. Yeah. Uh, it's so much stuff that I, I, I'm still in shock of even costuming. You know, I just mm-hmm. thought it was weird, man. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Well, here's what's crazy. when So, like, this whole campaign, one, it's really weird. So, so Andrew Riseborough plays an alcoholic in this movie nobody saw. It's called Two Leslie. And people say her performance was actually good, but this movie got no buzz. There was no campaigning around it. But she got the nomination after she convinced all of her famous friends to do this, like, social media blitz for her role in the movie. So she has folks like Gwyneth Paltrow and Edward Norton and Courtney Cox posting about her and the role and doing all kinds of content to get her some buzz for nomination, and she gets it. And some people are saying, well, that's actually fair to do, and how is that any better or worse than studios spending millions on campaigns through the more formal route? But my question is this for you and for all of our listeners, too. Andrew Riseborough's campaign with her famous friends it was all her white friends. If a black celebrity had a grassroots campaign with all of their black friends, would the Academy care? Or would the Academy reward that kind of campaign the same way? Think about this. We've always done that type of campaigning. Nobody cares. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's no, that means the five, the five heartbeats should have been nominated for Oscar. <laughs> Not the five heartbeats. Yes. Yeah. Because when it when it when it came out of the theaters, it even it didn't even really do well until everybody started talking about it, mm-hmm. and then it just catapulted. So that don't get nominated for Oscar because of that. So it's like, please, yeah, you know what I mean. What the problem is with, with what's the brilliance about, if I can be honest about her campaign, is I feel like she knew who the members were. She sure did, and that's she just what it was. And like, yeah, half of me wants to be like, kudos to you, Andrew Riseborough, but the other half is like, don't mess with Viola. You, it seemed like you took Viola's spot, and I will always choose Viola over anybody else. Somebody else should have got bumped. Well, now tell me who should have got bumped. Who should have got bumped? Who should have got bumped? Okay, so, <laughs> no, <laughs> so you you heard it. What's it? The Rizzies, the uh, the Razzies, the, the Razzies. Razzies. Yeah, they they award the worst in film every year. Yeah, I'm not gonna say anything, <laughs> but it's a movie nominated as a Razzie. And I believe that also has an Oscar nomination. Yeah. That that doesn't make sense to me. Make it make sense. This movie in question, can I name it? Can I name it? Is that okay? I didn't say anything. (laughs) This movie, Blonde, uh, in which Anna DeArmas plays Marilyn Monroe, Anna got a, a Best Actress nomination at the Oscars for her work in that movie, even as the film itself got like a record breaking number of Razzie nominations as in for the worst movie of the year. How does that happen? I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, it just, I, it just, and this, you know, that's about who I did a film with, right? I did uh, Deep Water with, a, with Ben Affleck. Amazing. I'm just talking about the Academy. Like, what are y'all, what are y'all doing? Like, come on, fam. For real. I still think you and everybody else involved in Bad Trip deserves all the awards i love that movie so much i'm gonna tell you something tiffany like based off the way you know they play they praise borat and all those different movies bad trip was masterfully done and and tiffany haddish was 
uh, brilliant. And I wish Beautiful. she would have got like a best actor oh, yeah. for that. I mean, look, but that happens, man. Look, you know, Get Out should have won an Oscar, but hey. Get Out should have won everything. It is what it is. I still, I still quote Get Out on a regular basis. Like, I'll just be out in the world and I'll see some folks being a little shady <laughs> and I'll be like, Oh, I bet that one voted for Obama three times if they could. Like, it's like that's just like I still <laughs> use the language, and I, I like. Hey, the second place ain't going away. The the second, we are place. listen. The second place is real, and it never went away. It never went away. <laughs> uh, I do want to ask since we brought up Get Out, you play an iconic TSA officer uh, in that movie. Please tell me that you still have a pleasant, ongoing relationship with the TSA. You just like go chill with them and kick it sometimes. Please say yes. No, but let me say this. So I remember the movie first came out and it was doing well. It was, you know, everything was going on. I was in memes and people, could, you know, I was so much love I was getting on the streets. I go to the airport thinking that's where the love was about to come, right? I'm like, oh, nah. Yeah. I get to see my people, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, you know, I get to the airport, I'm going through the line. They're like, hey, man, we love what you do, man. Like, you, you represented us, man. We love that. I'm like, cool. They're like, yeah, yeah, but you still got to take your shoes off and put your laptop in. <laughs> No, <laughs> I was like, "Damn, I don't get no love." You're not. Well, wait, hold on. Up. Wait, you aren't TSA pre. Most of the time, you know, now this is gonna be the Hollywood part of me. But I, go, I have a, the escorts. So, you know. uh, oh, you don't even deal with security lines anymore. Oh, wait, how does that work? I don't know. Us peasants don't know. Tell me how that works. They walk you through straight to the front, uh, and then they uh, take you to the car and drive you to the plane, and you get on. Wait, they drive you on the tarmac to the plane. Yeah. Stop. Now, I'm going to tell you something funny about that. Before <laughs> okay, I please do, because now I'm just like gobsmacked. The first person I saw do that was Chadwick Boseman. But this is the funny part. I didn't know that existed yet. Yeah. So we both in first class. We both sitting there, and we talking. And it was, you know, me and Chad, oh, God rest his soul. I miss him so much. So dope. And so we get off the plane. He get off first. He say, all right, bye, real. And then he just disappears, right? And I'm like, it felt like he was Black Panther for real. Like, where did he go? <laughs> right? <laughs> where did he go? Like, he just and I figured out, like, once I ended up having that service, it's like, you know, as soon as you walk off the plane, you get right out that door. That's wow. like where, you know, yeah. and you go right to the car. It takes you to your car. It takes you to the plane. All that stuff. Must be nice. Someone yeah. told me once that LAX has a secret terminal for celebrities. <laughs> no, I, but I... Well, maybe it is. Maybe I ain't been to that part yet. I, I'm just at the top of the point. <laughs> um, we've reached the end of the game. Let's tabulate some scoring. I think we were kind of on the same wavelength for M&Ms. I'm going to give you that point. Yep. I actually, we actually disagree because I do think Reggie John Page is the prettiest man working today. So I'm going to give him that and trust that <laughs> science. So we disagree on that. But we are on the same, 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 same page when it comes to the Academy and Andrea Riseborough. So because we agree more than we disagree, I'm happy to name you, Lowell Howery, the grand champion of Intuit, not Intuit. Yes! So proud of you. If you want to give a short acceptance speech right now, we would more than welcome that. I would love that. Uh, first of all, I want to thank the Academy for the motivation object. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. 
but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. In 2010, Beyonce was up for Album of the Year for I Am Sasha Fierce. And the Grammy goes to Taylor Swift. Make a track on Taylor Swift. And then again, in 2015, Beyonce was up for Album of the Year for her self-titled album, Beyonce. And the winner is Morning Phase. And then again in 2017 for Lemonade. And the Grammy goes to 25, Adele. This weekend, Beyonce is up once more for Album of the Year, for Renaissance. And she's also up for Record of the Year and Song of the Year. And I'm ready to have my heart broken once again. And I should be clear here. I love Beyonce, but this is not just about Beyonce. More often than not, when it comes to the big categories, it feels like the Grammys get it wrong. They consistently give the awards to the wrong people. So we're going to talk now about the biggest snubs in Grammy history and why this keeps happening over and over again, not just with Beyonce. We've got two friends of the pod this episode from Vulture's music podcast, Switched on Pop. Tell folks who you are. I'm Charlie Harding, co-host of Switched on Pop. I'm Rihanna Cruz, the producer of the show, and I'm very happy to be here, Sam. Thank you. I mean, I could think of no better way to talk about the Grammy Awards in advance of this year's Grammys other than dragging the Grammys and their bad taste with my two favorite (laughs) music journalists. So thank y'all for (laughs) indulging me. (laughs) That's high praise. Thank you, Sam. So we spent some time researching and digging through what the three of us believe are the worst Grammy snubs of all time. And we must start with the award for Album of the Year at the 27th Annual Grammy Awards held in 1985. Bruce Springsteen was up for Born in the USA. Cindy Lauper was up for She's So Unusual. Prince and the Revolution were up for Album of the Year for Purple Rain. Tina Turner for Private Dancer. But Charlie, Rihanna, I'll let y'all tell everybody who won that year who won album of the year that year and beat out all those other nominees lionel richie lionel richie lionel richie (laughs) can't slow down is that not the greatest grammy snub of all time like how do you do that as the grammys 
I feel like it's up there. I the the Lionel album is interesting because it's interesting. What do you mean by that? Well, it's <laughs> it's, it's only eight songs, and I think three of those songs are like iconic, still played on you know adult contemporary which ones? radio stations all night long. Hello and stuck on you. I hear those. Are any all of the those time. songs better than Purple Rain? Are any of no. those songs better than Time After Time? Are any no. of those songs better than any song on the Bruce Springsteen album Born in the USA? <laughs> Abs- absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think like this is a terrible snub over all of these great albums. Are any of those songs better than What's Love Got to Do with It? No. Come on. I think the tough thing about <laughs> any of these moments is that. The Grammys are, to a certain degree, declaring what is going to enter the canon. And Vienna's right. We still hear Lionel, no doubt. Important record, but it just pales in comparison. I mean, Purple Rain. Born in the USA is probably one of the most played tracks of all time. Yeah. Uh, It resurges every four years or every two years as it is constantly misappropriated for Mm -hmm. uh, political usage. (laughs) Yeah. It's a song about America falling apart, but politicians love it. I mean, and and there's just time after time, like time after time is one of the most covered songs ever. (laughs) Like all of these other things are just more classic. I mean, what does that kind of snub with some of the titans of modern pop? What does that say about the Grammys to the two of you? I mean, I think it says that Grammys will always award, I think, the thing that's more milk toast rather than, you know, the political, sexy, dangerous album of it all. What was that dangerous? <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying, I think, like, in comparison, nothing okay. is really okay. that dangerous. But, like, you know, you look at a song like Darling Nikki on Purple Rain. It's like I can feel some of it's the Grammy raunchy. voters. In, yeah. in yeah, yeah, it's, you know, I feel like it might not be their first choice in in the sort of we have to pick something that represents the Grammys regard, you know? Yeah, you can also look at, like, Shebop, that Cindy Lauper song. It's about something mm. uh, special. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, there, yeah, you have a record which is truly unusual. She's so unusual, and it's, it is a, a different sort of sound. You, Purple Rain uh, and Private Dancer, both full of charged sexual energy, born in the USA, uh, you know, deep political commentary, uh, you go with what's going to work on adult contemporary and play for the next uh, wow. 40 years. Wow. All right. That is my I mean, favorite's not the word. It's my least favorite Grammy Award situation of all time. <laughs> We've got some other big snubs to go through. What's the next one? Yeah, a snub that I have been fixating on while researching where the Grammys got it wrong is the 2001 Album of the Year race. So, you know, you're entering a new millennium. You think that the Grammys would, you know, maybe want to come back in the new century with a little bit of a freshness to them. But I don't know. You can't give the Grammys too much credit because the album of the year that year went to Two Against Nature by Steely Dan. Steely Dan. Yes, I know. Over Kid A by Radiohead. Marshall Mathers LP by Eminem. Midnight Vultures by Beck. And you know, a random Paul Simon record, you're the one. You're the one. You broke my heart. You made me cry. But 
two against nature over Kid A and Marshall Mathers LP, which are, in my opinion, two of the foremost canonical albums of the 21st century. It's crazy. Well, also, were all those nominees for Best Album that year white guys? <laughs> that's that's also very true. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nope. I don't know. Sometimes the Grammys does this thing, right, where I'm sure we're all aware, where they will award album of the year or other big awards to legacy acts in a way to like I don't know like affirm their legacy or some shit I don't know but this year they gave it to Two Against Nature by Steely Dan they do it again in 2008 when they gave it to Herbie Hancock over Amy Winehouse this is like one of the general issues of the Grammys that I think it manifests here clearly yeah, and particularly with Steely Dan, this is happening because they hadn't put out a record in like 20 years. So right, when you're right. looking at the older, skew, white male of the voting members of the Recording Academy, they're like, oh, Steely Dan, I have not seen you in a minute. We <laughs> love you, Steely Dan. Oh, And I have to defend the random Paul Simon record. I think Paul Simon, by contrast, is one of the most uh, successful late careers of someone who's been around since the 60s. Mm. Like. He puts out records that continue to have songs on them that absolutely bring me to tears, where lyrics and melody continue to push boundaries. So I actually don't think of him as random, but he's all you know, he's also on there, obviously, for the legacy reason as well. And I don't I mean, I like Steely Dan. I'm it's just I, not the right pick. It's <laughs> like not the right I, pick. I consider myself part of like the Steely Dan Renaissance. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, like, like Steely Dan is back in the a Dan-a-sons? big way. Please call it Dan-a-sons. yeah, the Danasons, baby. Yeah. Yacht Rock is back and it's not going away. But even then, I could like look at this, you know, this list of five albums and even be like, yeah. you know, Midnight Vultures by Beck is a really, really, really great album and is doing more than the Two Against Nature, the Steely Dan record. It's it's so, crazy. Yeah, you know when we. It's funny that you mentioned this snub as it leads into the new century, but I feel like the largest overriding long-term snub in this new century with the Grammys has just been the way that every time Beyonce releases an album that fundamentally changes the music industry and shakes the world, she can never, ever, ever get album of the year. Yeah. Like, it's happened, well, it's happened now with her self-titled album, it's happened with Lemonade, and my big fear is that this coming Sunday at the Grammys, she gets snubbed again for Renaissance. It's annoying, we'll talk more about it later, but that is also (laughs) one of the biggest snubs of all time. But I want to pivot and talk about a third big snub from, like, yesteryear involving a little group you might have heard of called The Beatles. (laughs) I mean, there's many Beatles snubs throughout the Grammys history, which I think is just great to revisit. You know, again, the safe pick does win. So if you go back to 1967, uh, the Beatles revolver, which is often considered, you know, their their magnum opus after Sgt. Pepper's, you know, someone come and fight me. Uh, it, it loses <laughs> over Fanks Sinatra's A Man and His Music. Uh, the next year in 1968, Hey Jude loses Song of the Year to a song called Little Green Apples. Who is that? I somehow have. (laughs) (laughs) Who is? Can you play it? Yeah, what? I have never heard it, Sam. On the fly fact check. Little Green Apples. I mean, I'm some boomers very upset at me right now. Uh, O.C. Smith. Little Green Apples. I got to hear it. Can we pull it up? Yeah. Oh, I wake up in the morning with my hair down and she says hi. I'm sorry, what? I stumbled to the breakfast table while the kids are going off to sleep. 
Oh my gosh! Wow. She reaches out and mm-hmm. takes it's my hand. cheesy. Squeezes. I want to see if I know the chorus. Say, yeah. I know. We gotta. We gotta wait for it. <laughs> what is the? <laughs> oh God! Didn't make little green apples. It don't rain in Indianapolis in the summertime. Listen, I don't hate it. Yeah. I hate it. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Let me tell you, I hate it. <laughs> but it beats Hey Jude and Mrs. Robinson was also nominated oh my God. that same oh year. Oh my God. <laughs> what the hell? Of the year. And, and lastly, though, it's great. Just two years later for their record, Abbey Road, the Beatles lose to Blood, Sweat, and Tears. What goes up? Oh, them. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So Abbey Road loses to that. And, and just to be clear, Spinning Wheel has uh, 16 million plays on Spotify, and I'm not going to even go look at the Beatles. So, yeah, it's, you know, not quite getting the canon of popular music right here. Ever. <laughs> I want to talk about some more snubs throughout Grammy history, but I do want to take a break and just ask YouTube music experts how the Grammys can snub an artist while still giving an artist a Grammy. And this requires kind of a conversation about the big four categories and all of the Mm -hmm. other categories. So we've seen in this century, artists making black music, R&B, and hip-hop, getting a lot of Grammys, but still being shut out of what's called the big four categories. How does that happen, and what's the big four and all the other stuff? Okay, so the big four categories, record of the year, Song of the Year, which is the composition, like lyrics and music, whereas the record is the production. You have Album of the Year, and you have Best New Artist. Now, all of the members of the Recording Academy can vote in the big four. And then most of the Grammys are actually subgenre awards. There's dozens more. It usually doesn't even air on the Grammys itself. Uh, there are countless awards for every genre imaginable. And... Uh, Recording Academy members are supposed to vote in three of those fields that they call them, sort of genre areas. And within their genre areas, they can vote 10 times. And so part of what's going on is that you've got an institution that is older, skews more white, skews more male, because people in the Academy have been in it for a long time. And all of our issues of historical inequality exist within this institution. And so those voters are voting in the big four and getting their say about the biggest categories, even though really where they might be experts are in their subgenres and things that really have nothing to do with those big four. And so there's all kinds of weighting and skewing that happens because of uh, just the population of who's voting. Yeah. Well, and then they still get to do the thing where they say, well, Kendrick got a bunch of rap Grammys. Beyonce got a bunch of R&B Grammys. Aren't you happy about that? Right. But even then, sometimes the Grammys put an artist that has a lot of accolades, you know, in in the journalist world and in the music realm. And they put them in these categories, but don't award them with anything anyway. Like Kendrick Lamar, right? 2014, great year. Good Kid Mad City had come out. He was nominated for Album of the Year, Best Rap Album, Best New Artist, Best Rap Performance, and Best uh, Rap Sung Performance. And he lost all of them. To who? Rolling in hella deep, headed to the mezzanine, dressed in all pink, set my gator shoes, those are green. Oh, to Macklemore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I forgot yeah. about yeah. that. 
I think it's worth mentioning that Macklemore and Ryan Lewis didn't just win Best New Artist over Kendrick Lamar. They also won over Casey Musgraves, James Blake, and Ed Sheeran. Jesus. And obviously you have this issue of a white rapper winning over a black rapper during a time of raising consciousness of uh, racial inequality. Kendrick Lamar's album, Good Kid, Mad City, paints such detailed imagery of exactly those issues. Same like the whole city go against me. Every time I'm in the street, I hear yuck, 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 yuck. And so, of course, people are going to be riled up over that. And that is what sticks in our memory. But it's worth mentioning that Casey Musgraves, James Blake, and Ed Sheeran have all had arguably much longer and more profound oh, yeah. uh, careers with greater impact than Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. When we brought the idea of talking about Grammy snubs to you both, y'all went ahead and like made Excel spreadsheets that break down the snubs <laughs> by various demographic categories. Yeah. Yeah. Based on your research, what type of artist is most likely to be snubbed by the Grammys in the big four categories? Well, it depends when you're looking over time. Like if you go back to the beginning of the Grammys mm-hmm. at the end of the 50s and through the 60s, you know who wins? A lot of white dudes. Yeah. Uh, Women don't really start winning actively until the 70s. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're looking at the big four categories recently, there is more of a a gender mix, but you don't have a lot of representation of non-binary and trans folks in there. If you look at race, same kind of story. While a lot of white folks winning a lot of Grammys for a very long time, though, in the 80s and 90s, A lot more black winners, a lot more multiracial groups winning. And there's a decline or a regression, though, that happens at the same era of the decline of the CD. 2007 through 2017, a lot of white folks winning the big four again. Uh, More recently, it's kind of been split over the last couple of years. It's also worth noting that in the last 20 years or so, there's been a lot more consensus voting, meaning there have been more artists who are sweeping more categories in the big four uh, rather than having, uh, you know, three or four unique artists in the big four categories winning those awards. I've noticed that. So, like, there's this kind of phenomenon that I see with the Grammys in the last several years where every few years they find a very charming white woman to give all the awards to. (laughs) And I like these women's music, but it's like all the awards, like Adele will sweep the Grammys. You know, Billie Eilish sweeps the Grammys. Mm -hmm. Taylor Swift sweeps the Grammys. And it's kind of like there's a special place among those voters for a certain kind of white woman who is popular enough and also critically loved enough to just take everything. I mean, welcome to America. Yeah, for (laughs) real. (laughs) <laughs> and listen no shade on any of those women i still play that first billy eilish record it's oh, impeccable it's but like to see billy eilish have a good album and win all the awards and then see beyonce make several great albums and not get the same awards that's my problem right, you know? right. and she wins record of the year the year after that she sweeps the grammys over other artists could have been Dua Lipa, Post Malone, Megan Thee Stallion. Of course, The Weeknd wasn't nominated for anything that year. But there is a conservative quality to the voting in the big four. And so it yeah. seems as though you're like, well, we like Billy. Billy was great last year. And, you know, if you're a 
there are a ton of classical musicians who are represented in the Grammys. And, you know, they, they ought to be awarded Grammys in their category, of course. But, you know, if they're voting in the big four, they might not be following pop music. And they're like, Billy, I know that name. Okay, Billy. Oh, I know her. In. She's yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So you write it in. Well, and then it's like when I think of some of the ways the Grammys have tried to fix their problem, which is ultimately at its core kind of a race problem. Yeah. One of their biggest fixes kind of hasn't fixed anything. I'm thinking about the Latin Grammys. This is a whole new award show. Right. But there's like some demographic issues and controversies there as well. Yeah. I mean, look at, you know, there was an uproar because despite the qualification for the Latin Grammys being like any music that's released in Spanish or Portuguese, you know, language wise. Rosalia won album of the year for Motomami, which is a great record. But a lot of people were, you know, angry because she's not from Latin America, you know, and it's she's from Spain. Right. Exactly. She's from Spain. And she's a white Western European woman. Exactly. Who speaks Spanish. Exactly. And despite the Grammys having these sort of, or the Latin Grammys rather, having these sort of nebulous qualities where it's like, well, you know, it has to be in Spanish and that counts as Latin music. It's still a weird sort of thing. And it's the Recording Academy's job to sort of deal with that um, that criticism, you know? I think it's become an increasingly uncomfortable issue when the rise of Latin American music, Spanish language, Portuguese language music in the United States has become deeply integrated with the Hot 100, which paved way for so much Spanish language music where these boundaries of what is music that's happening in Latin America, which there should be an award show for music, which is predominantly played in Latin America. Absolutely. But then a lot of that music is also played in the United States and it's unclear where those boundaries and I hate to say it, but borders should exist. There's also the weird sort of discrepancy between the, you know, American Grammys, if for lack of a better term, and the Latin Grammys, because Rosalia won Album of the Year at the Latin Grammys, and Bad Bunny was nominated, but didn't win for Un Verano Sin Ti. So it's like, Un Verano Sin Ti is nominated for the American Album of the Year. So that's like, it's a weird, like, interesting difference between the things that even get nominated at both Grammys. Yeah. I think I'll do all the voting. I'll tell them who should get the awards. And it's going to be uh, Beyonce up and down that ballot. Because why not? It's time. Anywho. What do you think is going to happen this year, Sam? I think the Grammys know that they've got to honor Beyonce. If you recall last year at the Grammys, mm-hmm. uh, which were outside because it was still kind of a pandemic moment. I remember those. But they made a big hullabaloo about Beyonce getting one of the lesser category wins, but they made a big to-do out of it because it made her, at that point, the most awarded woman in Grammy history. Mm. So they already know it is a moment in which to give Beyonce her flowers. So I think if the voters can at all read the tea leaves and recognize a good art, it goes to Renaissance. That is my hope. If you look at the other albums in the category, I I think it's more pointing to Beyonce, but there's also formidable contenders like 30 by Adele, the Bad Bunny record, I I think is my favorite album of the year and I wouldn't be mad if it won. But there's also like Grammy favorites in there that kind of muddy the waters a little bit because the mm, Grammy voters, ABBA. they there's an ABBA record in there for, you know, their, their first record after 30 years or so. There's the Brandy Carlisle record, which I know the Grammy voters go like 
crazy over. There's a random Coldplay record that I've never heard of before. There's <laughs> not Coldplay. I know. There's Special by Lizzo, which they also love. The the Grammy voters love Lizzo over there, and you know Harry's house and Kendrick Lamar, Mr. Morale, and the Big Steppers. Oh, but not my. a great Kendrick album. I'm sorry. This was <laughs> I know. not a great I think Kendrick it was a album. Subconscious, and I'll fight over that. A, a subconscious it was, it was, step over. Yeah, we all want to forget this latest Kendrick album. Right. Sorry, Kendrick, love you, mean it. Right. I think part of what Rihanna, you're acknowledging here is that you have this same historical artist, potentially ABBA, you know, even Coldplay fits in there a little right. bit. Right, and, and Mary J. Blige. Mary J. Blige had a record out this year? Good morning, gorgeous. That's what it's called. I, okay, good for her, but I didn't hear record. it. I must have been under a rock. It's pretty solid. I wake up every morning and tell myself So take me back to the early 2000s, Mary. Go ahead. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. Uh, All right. Last question as we close this episode. Will the Grammys ever get better at this? Uh, I'm going to say no. (laughs) Charlie. I want to believe in progress. A hopeful, cynically optimistic yes. I like that. I have no hope. I have no hope. (laughs) But we shall see. Tell the Grammys fuck that 0 for 8 shit. Listen, Charlie, Rihanna, thank y'all so much for being here. This was a delightful chat with a bunch of music, which I love. Listeners, go check out Switched on Pop right now. Do it. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docuseries, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong, and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Culture Geist. Culture Geist. You're listening to Culture Geist. Culture Geist. I don't know, y'all. And now for a segment we're calling Culture Geist. About all the things we can't stop thinking about. The culture that's haunting you, haunting me, haunting all of us, for better or worse. 
Hey Sam, this is Miles from New York. My culture geist for months has been from two minutes and 41 seconds into pure honey on Renaissance, where we hear Beyonce say earlier than that. Just a little, if you like, earlier than that. It should cost a billion to look this. I have seen no one talk about this, but what it seems to be is a candid clip of her in the booth telling the producer whatever whatever part of the track, whatever, you know, whatever you're... It's got to be earlier than that. We don't know what that was, but it's got to be earlier. And for someone who is so curated about you know, how much we see behind her curtain, for her to leave that in is just like so juicy to me because it makes me ask a million questions. What else from the booth are we not hearing? When did the church, when did whatever thing come in that she wanted earlier? She left that in and that haunts me in the most beautiful way. Hi, Sam. This is Kate from Washington, D.C. My culture guys this week is the line from Conversations with Friends when Francis meets Nick's, uh, played by Joe Alwyn, Nick's sister's baby, so his niece. And she says, This is a great baby. <laughs> she is. 10 out of 10. <laughs> this is a great infant. 10 out of 10. It was in the book. It's in the show. I can't stop thinking about it. It's like so sweet and every time i hold a baby i think i love this baby this is a great infant 10 out of 10 hey sam my name is dallas and i have a culture geist that's been following me around since i was maybe eight years old and i first saw the disney animated movie alice in wonderland It's a deep cut, and it is the dog that has a beard that's made of a broom who Alice meets as she's walking along a path. She's sort of lost, and she's like, well, if I just follow this path. A path? Oh, thank goodness. And then she meets the dog with the broom beard on the path, and he's sort of walking with a pep in his step, sweeping the path away with his beard. And I feel this is the best metaphor for modern life that I've ever encountered. Uh, It's a Sisyphean myth, if you will. You're walking on the path, the path is being erased as you're making it. I've used it in business, I've used it in my personal life. It's an existential quandary I found myself in more than I would like to admit. When, when one's lost, I, I suppose it's good advice to stay where you are until someone finds you. But, but who'd ever think to look for me here? And when I go to share this reference, when I'm trying to describe the feeling that I'm having, I just wish more people knew about the dog with the broom beard. In fact, I wish there was a more elegant way to describe it. But you should definitely go on YouTube and look up the clip. 
Thanks. Oh dear. Now I now I shall never get out. Thanks again to Dallas and Kate and Miles. Listeners, do you have a culture geist? A thing in the culture that's been haunting you for days or weeks or even years? Share it with us. The more specific you are, the better. Just send us a short voice memo via email. Intuit at vulture.com. Also, and I ask y'all this every week, but I mean it. If you like this show and want to support it, we could use your help. Subscribe to Intuit on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcast. And most importantly, share with your friends. Tell them about the show. Seriously, it helps. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Gabby Grossman, and Jelani Carter. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. And Hannah Rosen is the head of audio at New York Magazine. All right, listeners, we are back next Thursday with a brand new episode. Till then, listen to good music, no matter what the Grammys say. All right, see y'all next week.